Welcome to SA Wellcast, the podcast where we explore the many facets of health and well-being. This podcast is brought to you by St. Alphonsus Corporate Health and Well-Being and a generous grant from the St. Alphonsus Foundation. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Good morning. Welcome to the St. Alphonsus Wellcast. I'm Kim Cleveland. I'm hosting today. I'm a nurse practitioner with the Department of Corporate Health and Wellbeing at St. Alphonsus. And today I have with me Debbie Maisner, who's one of our nurses and health coaches. Hey, thanks. I'm super excited for today's topic. And I have Candy Zapia, our executive producer and lady behind the curtain. Hello. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for coming on today, guys. We're going to talk today about healthy habits, and I want this to be sort of a roundtable discussion about habits and what we can do to really improve our health, because I know there's a lot of confusion about that out there right now. I'm, I. This is my jam. I like talking <laughs> about habits. I like talking about making and breaking habits. So Mainly we're focusing on good habits today, though, right? Something anybody can do to improve their health. Exactly. So the whole idea behind this talk is that there's a lot of noise out there and there's a lot of opinions that various experts and people have about what they can do for their health and what you should do for your health and, you know, the be-all, end-all of diets and exercise and and all these different important aspects that tie into our well-being. Um, But truly, as a nurse practitioner and um, with my knowledge in the medical field, I know that there are certain things that we've studied that regardless of your personal preferences, you know, the things that you gravitate toward and what seems easier for you to incorporate to make yourself healthier, there are some things that cross all the barriers and are irrevocably, indisputably good for you and your health. I love that. Let's get into it. So what would you say like are those top habits anyone can do? Yeah. So there are habits. And, you know, the good thing about these habits that we've compiled are that they sort of go through each body system and each part of your well-being. So a lot of people think of one particular thing when they think of their well-being. Some people automatically think of exercise and movement. Some people automatically think about their diet, and then other people may be more drawn to the spiritual or emotional or mental aspect of their health, and all those things are equally important in their own way for your well-being. So, you know, I think that making sure we're hitting each one of those areas is an important part of the balance that makes us more well and more whole. Um, So in general, um, there was this one study or one particular group of people who looks at individuals and communities across the world, and they're called the blue zones. And those areas are areas with high concentrations of people who live over the age of 100, or they're called centenarians. And so they've studied and they've found some commonalities between these individuals throughout the world and what these different cultures, even though those cultures don't really speak to each other or have any communication, they all kind of have certain things in common which I think is pretty cool. And then also, um, you know, just tying in some of the things that we already know to be true from Western medicine as well um, and what we see in our patients. So, you know, we're pulling from the Blue Zones theory, but also adding in some of our our own um, ideas here in the West too. So the first habit that I think is number one, super paramount, is moving your body. Yes. Good old, but you're not just talking about exercise though, right? Yeah. So what do you think of when you think of moving your body? I think of dance, but that's just me. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I do think most people would think, oh, that's exercise. Yes. Right, right. Which can kind of 
deter people. But I think what you're getting at is it's it's body movement, right? Like just physically getting up and moving. Of course, exercise has its place for sure. But also just being mobile, walking, you know, moving our joints through their full range of motion, you know, that can be good for your body. Definitely. So one thing that I love to talk to my patients about is people have been living a long life for a really long time, centuries, and there was not a snap fitness around, you know, (laughs) 200 years ago. Granted, we had higher incidence of early death and there were, you know, was a shorter life expectancy 100 years ago for various reasons. But what I mean to say is that people have been moving their body without going to the gym since the beginning of time. Mm-hmm. The whole idea of a gym really didn't even come into play until, you know, later in the 20th century. So moving your body, keeping yourself mobile, mm-hmm. exercising in a way that feels good for you is so important for so many reasons. I think we really hammer hard on the cardiovascular benefits of exercise within the medical field because we know how important it is for heart health and um, for, you know, your muscles and joints. But... I would say more important is some of the stress-lowering effects that happen from exercise and lowering the cortisol levels in your body, which is that fight-or-flight stress hormone that we secrete during times of danger or, Mm -hmm. you know, when you're in a stressful situation. And when you're exercising and moving your body in a way that feels good, you're giving yourself all these really good feel-good hormones and lowering that stress hormone, which is an important part of longevity. A hundred percent. I always feel better when I take a walk. I don't necessarily want to, and I could give myself a million excuses, but, you know, as someone that works in an office where you're at your computer all day and kind of, you know, you might be shrugging your shoulders and everything, like it's a great reset mentally and physically. I experience less low back pain when I go and take a walk after sitting for a long period of time. But just the mental clarity that comes in and then, like, gets you ready for the next round of, you know, how many hours sitting at the computer. Yeah. And you can really double down on the benefits from exercise when you're doing it outside. So taking that walk outside or going outside and moving your body in some way is so good for your brain and your body and, and the way that you process new information and stressful stimuli after the fact. So. You know, moving your body, I think, is the number one habit and not just because it means going to the gym and pumping iron or whatever your standard thought is. And then for you, Debbie, you know, to your point about dancing and moving your body in that way, it's another great way to make it really fun and to do something that you enjoy and make it less punitive. So do you still think, like, there should be a certain amount of time you should be moving your body, like, or just get rid of that overall, like, oh, you have to do it for this many minutes. You need to do this many strength training sessions. You need, or are we getting into the weeds again? (laughs) No, no, no. I think that's a really good point because I think, you know, just moving your body, people can think like, oh, I move my body all day. I walk up the stairs. I, you know, I walk to the printer. I walk to the water cooler. Um, whatever it may be. But, you know, if you want to look at it from the American Western medicine side of things, most of our large societies recommend 150 minutes of moderate intensity exercise per week. And moderate intensity does not mean, you know, necessarily heart pumping, like high intensity sessions, but those will count too. Um, But really getting that, um, you know, moderate aerobic zone type exercise and that can be definitely achieved just through walking if you need a number i'd say 150 minutes a week but there's really no limit to what your body 
could benefit from as far as that's right. concerned as long as it's it's more lower you know it's not so stressful or mm-hmm. um, or too taxing on the body at the same time so yeah I think that's a it's a good place to start is at 150 minutes but there's really no ceiling so let's move our bodies um, okay. so we're moving here in the office I know <laughs> I heard even just fidgeting is good for you. It is. There's some. There's actually some data that having a stand-up desk and fidgeting can sort of offset some of our sitting that we do for prolonged periods of time. Um, and then one last point I would say is, you know, being intentional about getting some exercise in, hitting the gym is not a bad thing, particularly if you enjoy it or if you have one of those desk jobs where it's really hard for you to fit those steps in or fit those minutes mm-hmm. of exercise in. So, um, you know, going to the gym is not a bad thing and, and can really help offset some of the effects of sedentary life. Cool. Okay. So what's what's our next habit? Our next habit is to eat well. Oh, that boy. sounds really, really Fake. general. Yeah. <laughs> what does that mean? Do you want me to tell you the best diet to follow? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Tell me. No. Things get so complicated here. I think that people, you know, always are going to tout these different diets that are the be-all, end-all, and we're making it way more complicated, trying to remove gluten, dairy, carbohydrates, you know, animal proteins, nice. all these different grains and, and all that. But there are some general rules of thumb that I think really can boil it down and make it a little easier to follow. Um, it definitely isn't going to you know, give you a meal plan or that, <laughs> that specific diet recommendation, but eat lots of fresh vegetables, balance your protein, carbohydrates, and fat intake, limit your sugar, dairy, and meat consumption, and as Michael Pollan says, eat food, not too much, mostly plants. Oh, I like just wrapping it up like that. I know. And it's funny because that is the guiding principle of how we should eat. But it seems so overwhelming. I think looking at these principles is great. And, of course, people with different dietary restrictions. Like if you have uh, some type of allergy to something or if you can't consume some you know, certain type of food, then you can definitely reach out to a registered dietitian or something and see what can work for you. But these general principles for the average person, I think, are great, are great. It doesn't have to be as complicated. But if it is complicated for you, you can seek out assistance with that. Yeah, to just boil it down for you, too, and make it less complicated. I think that, you know, looking at our meals and making sure we're getting a good protein source, a high-quality mm-hmm. carbohydrate source, which carbohydrates exist in grains and lots of starchy vegetables and even in non-starchy vegetables as well. So that carbohydrate right. doesn't have to look like a half a cup of white rice or brown rice or whatnot. So I think we don't have to, to take that so literally, but just making sure we're having our protein, our carbohydrate, our fat, and our fiber at all of our meals can really improve our health and would you know, be an easy way for any of us to be sure that we're eating healthfully at each meal. Can we still have like treats and cakes? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Don't take my cake away. (laughs) No, eating super healthy sounds positive to some people, but also can have that negative connotation. Like Mm -hmm. I'm not allowed to eat cakes because it's not just plants. <laughs> but I think that making sure that these eating moments and these times that we're enjoying things, particularly with other people or in settings where we you know, want that little yeah. bit of a reward or that little bit of a treat is a great part of life. You know, We don't need to take all the fun out of life. And just kind of following that 80-20 rule can be helpful too, mm-hmm. where 80% of the time, you know, all week long, you're 
for the most part, plugging away, eating those really healthful, nutrient-dense foods that are going to fuel your body and make you feel really good throughout the day. And then knowing that, you know, on Thursday when you have that birthday party, you can have a slice of cake. Or when you go out to dinner with your significant other, you guys can get dessert or get the appetizer and not feel guilty or shameful about it because it's part of of living. Yes. (laughs) Candy loves her bread. I love bread. Um, Yeah, so I would just say, you know, sort of thinking about it mindfully and being intentional about the treats you're having can be helpful so that you're not just snowballing into a lifestyle of high fat, high starch or refined processed foods that you just begin to crave and and have without thinking Um, can be helpful for maintaining that health diet throughout the week. 100%. Makes sense. Okay, that was a good one. What's your next one? So let's talk a little bit about stress. Okay. Yeah. Don't listen to us all. I know. <laughs> and that's part of the problem. <laughs> right. Right. So reducing stress is a huge part of our health. Um, and so this is a little tricky because there's unmodifiable stress and there's modifiable stress. There are stressors in your life that you're not going to get away from. Your alarm clock is going to keep going off at 6 a.m. Your kids are going to have to get to school. You know, you're going to have deadlines at work. There's going to be changes to the schedule. There's going to be a snowstorm. You're going to run out of (laughs) gas. Like all these stressors, stressors are things that we can't change, right? Um, Then there are the more modifiable stressors, things that we sort of bring upon ourselves. So, um, are one of those examples. So if you are somebody who takes on more work than you necessarily need Mm. to, you don't reach out for help when it's offered, Um, you know, there's certain things that you've taken on as responsibilities or obligations that aren't really serving you or your family or your your life or that stress level. Those are all more modifiable stressors. And this is my invitation and my permission slip to everybody to set up some boundaries and to really think yes. about what's serving them and what's not serving them and what can be taken away as a modifiable stressor. I like that. So focusing on what you can control. <clears throat> so I listened to a podcast recently. We both listened to the Huberman Lab podcast. If anyone's looking for a science podcast, that's your show. Um, but he uh, had a guest on and she was talking about how our mindset and how we view stress is so important. And we have been taught, you know, it's a billion dollar industry to reduce stress, get rid of stress. Stress is bad. Stress is terrible. However, there is a useful purpose of stress, right? Like it gets you ready for getting projects done. It gets you focused. Like It's not something that happens to you. It happens for you. So if you could kind of change your thinking around stress, because we're not going to get rid of stress. Oh, yeah. We're just not. Like, that's life. Um, So if you can change it to something that's like making us perform better um, and serving us and it has a useful purpose, then that can really change the way that you're managing stress. Yeah, you know, I think about it as one of those like unmodifiable stressors, you know, just as an example in my own life is having, you know, an ill loved one and having, Mm -hmm. you know, that's a stressful situation to have somebody around you that's not doing well health wise. But, you know, it's changing my mindset around it. I'm not glad that she's ill, 
but it has increased my awareness and increased my sensitivity to her and to my the rest of my family as we support each other through this time. Right. And so that stressor of her illness isn't good, but that feeling of feeling stressed does drive me to be kinder, to be gentler, and to be more understanding of those right. around me in that time of support. And so kind of reframing has been really helpful for me to make that stressor something that I'm using at least in a positive way, even though in and of itself, it's not a positive thing. Yeah. What would you use like for work stress? Yeah, I think, you know, having that deadline or having Mm -hmm. that next thing that you guys have to get done as a team or you have to get done as an employee or as a colleague here at St. Al's. Then, you know, having that is driving you to get it done. Right. right? So I don't know about you, but if I have a project and no deadline, (laughs) that project isn't going anywhere fast. Right. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I totally agree with that. I am more competitive in nature. When when you talk about like that stress and using it for good, I immediately go back to my sports days and how you used it like you'd get amped up, you know, and of course it's stressful and whatnot, but it gave me energy. It gave me purpose. Same thing like when you're talking about like deadlines and things like that. Currently I am back in school completing a master's and there is no greater rush than (laughs) my paper is due at 12 midnight and I have either procrastinated or like it's just been a big project or whatever. But there's also this thing, like this super focus can come in too. And then all of a sudden when I couldn't get done all week long, I can magically make come together with that stress and having it like just focused on the task at hand. So you can use it. You can use it. I don't like to live on the edge like that all the time. No, and that's not good to live on the edge all the time. (laughs) But it certainly can be something we use for good. And so I think... You know, you're not going to get rid of your stressors, all of them. You can change your relationship with the stressors that are there and then maybe get rid of some of the things that aren't serving you that you are able to get rid of. So if, Candy, you came into my office and offered to offload half of my project when I have three other deadlines, then I would maybe take you up on that instead of saying, no, no, I can do it. I can do it. Right. Um, So just reframing our relationship to stress and making it something that we can use for ourselves, but then also reducing stress where we can, I think is a habit that will drive us forward and help us um, feel more well. Love it. That's great. Okay. So we've talked about moving your body, eating healthy, eating well, eating well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, managing your stress. What's your next habit? So this one is something a little bit different. It's about finding your purpose. Interesting. See, I wouldn't think that's like a habit. Yeah. So there's different kinds of habits, right? There's the habits, you know, flossing your teeth every day. There's the habits of moving your body, which, you know, moving every day can be a habit. Um, This habit is more of a general habit that we see cross-culturally among those centenarian groups, that they have Mm -hmm. that sense of purpose. So while it may not be that day-to-day habit, or maybe you will find your purpose every day and make time for that, But it's more of a cultural habit and a way of living Mm -hmm. to drive us forward and help us feel well. Um, So for some people, that's going to look like finding their sense of belonging within a community or connecting with something really deep inside themselves to give them that sense of purpose. And for some people, that may look like a religion. 
Um, in some observational studies, having that sense of purpose or belonging or spirituality is associated with a longer lifespan. Isolation and depression, on the other hand, we know go hand in hand and take a big toll on your health and can cause a lot of problems and exacerbate other existing health problems. So I'm not recommending necessarily that you take up an organized religion if that's not something that really speaks to you, but you may benefit from finding a way to connect within your community, whether it's with your neighbors or a volunteer service, um, just to give you that sense of purpose on a regular basis that you're connecting back to. Yeah, this could be huge. I think for, it depends on like your career. So I'm thinking of people like, I. we are fortunate in healthcare. I feel like it's a very purpose-driven and meaningful mm-hmm. career. Mm-hmm. Some people, like my husband, for example, who was a software engineer, like <laughs> he didn't find meaning out of it and was very unhappy and unfulfilled. And then I'm also thinking of people when they retire And if their purpose was tied into their work, now all of a sudden they're just kind of lost. What do you recommend? Like, how do you find your purpose? Yeah. So when you make a big life change, that is a time to reevaluate your purpose. Your purpose is going to evolve throughout your life with life Mm -hmm. stages, right? Your purpose throughout your adolescent years is to really find yourself and to find that community and, and what it is that sparks you. And then you enter into your 20s. This is all stereotypical, obviously, Anna. (laughs) But, you know, you enter into your 20s and it's more about building and that career and deepening those relationships that you started to form, maybe finding a spouse. And then you go into more career development and family building phase. And then at some point you empty nest, hopefully, if that's been your path. (laughs) And then you get to sort of reinvent yourself. So I think without you know, diving too much into it, you know, throughout your life, you're going to have at least three to five major times in your life where that purpose or that sense of purpose can change and, and may change and should change. You get to evolve. So if you're going through one of those big change times, then sort of diving deep into what you want the next phase to look like and what's speaking to you can help drive you forward, at least for, you know, that phase. So if you're newly retired, then maybe that is taking on a volunteer project. Or if you recently started a family, like really diving deep into that family and leaning into it can be helpful. Just kind of embracing where you are and and finding what's speaking to you next can help draw that purpose out of you. Definitely. Ooh, that's deep. I love that. that. I keep keep thinking about your um, blue zones and how these people that are living in you know, to be a hundred, how they, so much of it is based on community and family and how different we are in America where we're not as family focused when our, when our people get older, they (laughs) kind of end up being left behind a little bit or going into a long-term care facility or, um, that, I mean, a total side note, but it just shows like the importance of community and, connection. And so for some people, that is what gives them purpose and meaning to their life. Oh, 100%. I had my great grandmother, she lived to be 103 years old. She lived in one of these blue zones kind of by the Loma Linda area in California. And she was a religious woman and she lived with her daughters. There were the things, it was so great. We did this big hundred year birthday party where the mayor came out. Like Aww. it was a big deal. It was a big deal. Um, 
But the things that kept her going was, for one, she was deeply involved still in her church. She was still, like, leading out a Bible study, right? She was still involved. Um, Her daughter, who was in her early 80s, late 70s, like, she went to go buy a car, and she's like, bring me with you. Like, she didn't stay home. She lived up on the second floor on purpose because she wanted to take the stairs every day. Um, and just her, like, she she wanted to be involved. She was sharp. She was, like, I mean, till the end, she was involved. She didn't just go away. Now, she was blessed with not having any severe health issues. Right. She, she had the light, She had the ending that we all want, just die peacefully in your yeah. sleep, you know, with no problems and things like that. But that support and purpose that she got every day, she was intentional with moving her body, with being involved with using her mind and it was just great to see you know such a wonderful life lived and how she could still find purpose right in her older age and it's great in certain communities where that's so integral as part yes. of the community and of the lifestyle and of the culture whereas here in most of the US we have to be very intentional about creating that culture for ourselves or finding that purpose or making, you know, friends that are like family yes, in order yes. to have those people throughout the long term. Because what a gift your grandmother had to have right. her daughter in her 80s. I mean, they're probably know. more like friends than they were like 100%. mother daughter by that point. I just love that, <laughs> yeah. you know. So I think, you know, finding that purpose, finding friends that are like family, finding that volunteer effort, finding a way you can get and stay involved Yes. is a huge part of your longevity and feeling well into that old age, right? Uh-huh. You don't just want to live long to live long. No, no. You know. <laughs> what What a great example and role model for you. Yeah. And what, what lovely genes you have. <laughs> I know. <laughs> we called her little mother. She was very tiny. So I think oh. that kind of helped too. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> that's great. Oh, gosh, that's wonderful. I love it. Okay, Kim, what is your last habit you recommend? So the last habit is a lot like the previous habit, but it's more about being mindful and intentional. Mm. And this does differ from finding our purpose, but I like to tie the two together because once we've identified what our purpose is or identified the thing that we really want to go all in on or incorporate on our daily life or what gives us that reason to get up in the morning – We have to be consistently connecting back with that purpose and being mindful with our daily actions in order to make sure that our actions are reflecting that purpose to kind of keep ourselves accountable. Um, Now, this isn't like a punitive thing, again, where you're saying like, oh, I'm not, you know, finding my purpose enough. I'm not eating well enough and all that. But more just having that awareness and being mindful about your own body and your own mental state and then connecting back to that purpose and, and the other habits and reminding yourself of, you know, why you're doing this and making sure you're doing it. Yeah, I've heard this described as like living to your values. So if your value, um, if you value family and friendship and um, education, let's say, like, how is what you're doing? How are your actions aligned with those values? Yeah, I think that's. I agree a hundred percent. I think living out your values is one of the most valuable things we can do for ourselves and for the people around us. 
Right. Um, it's a great way to set an example for our kids and for those around us too. You know, saying that you value something and then showing it through your actions sets an example for your kids, for your colleagues, for you know your family, and also keeps you true to yourself. Um, you know, we often are going through the motions and have that automaticity where you know mm-hmm. we just do the same things every every single day, day in and day out, and. That actually is one of the things that makes it the hardest to actually make a habit or break a habit because we're so automatic. But setting aside time can be really helpful, maybe even once a week, or maybe you take 10 minutes a day in the morning to align yourself with an intention and to think about ways you're going to incorporate your purpose or all these other habits into your day. And then the next day sort of examining how you did it the previous day and what you might do the next day is a really great way to do it. And again, without too much judgment, but more just observation and and tools for going forward. Yeah, I think like the number one thing towards change or making a change is first awareness, like you said, and then getting curious without judgment. Exactly. Very, very key. Love it. I love these habits. So you have, just a recap for our listeners, move your body, eat well, handle stress, find your purpose, and be mindful and intentional. Yeah, I think those things are all things that any of us can incorporate. And again, without regard to any of your own personal preferences or ideas about health or nutrition or movement or things like that, these are things that all of us can benefit from. And the more we are doing for ourselves, the more we're doing for our community around us, the better off we all are going to be on our path toward community and general wellness. I think that's a great recap. I feel I feel um, a sense of peace, like yeah, and just alignment. Like okay, this this I can do. These right. things I can do, right. and I feel good about it. And I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show and share your research and your tips and all of that good stuff. It's been a really fun conversation and I hope everybody leaves feeling inspired. And if you have any questions, you can reach out at sawellness at stalfonsis.org. Thanks, Candy. Thank you. Thanks, Debbie. Thank you. Have a good day and be well. Thank you for listening to this episode of SA Wellcast. Brought to you by St. Alphonsus Corporate Health and Wellbeing and the St. Alphonsus Foundation. We hope you'll tune in again. Until then, be well.